listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Let's get to it. All right, let's get moving. And you can take your Bibles and turn to Genesis, Genesis 37, as we begin this series in this um, uh, this new series today, and uh, thank you men for that, and um, the truths from God's Word that we are going to jump in today and over the next number of weeks leading up to Easter again, I just think are pivotal and foundational for us as God's people, and to gain perspective and an understanding. The ushers have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we're going we're gonna to go right through a whole chapter of Genesis today, a lot of verses, so it's great if you have your eyes on the Word of God and follow along as we read. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that Bible home with you and use it and allow God's Word to change and transform your life. Genesis 37. Now, we all have different ideas, expectations, desires, dreams for life, and in so many areas, you know, whether it has to do with our personal lives, perhaps our health, our physical well-being, our family, our career, our finances, our, our savings and working, um, our possessions. We have all these ideas, these expectations, these realities. And even in some other areas of life, we can kind of have some of these expectations, as you can see up on the screen, things like this. And it's kind of like, you know, the expectation, I'm going to study hard, and the reality is it doesn't work out so well. How about this next one? Um, the, the aspect of how I think I will look while driving and how you actually look, and, and, and isn't that so true? Um, or this next one, opening the front of the camera, expectations versus reality. Isn't that true? I don't know if you've noticed that. It's like, oh boy, that's not good. Um, so again, uh, just we get crushed. And then again, expectations versus reality, flying off somewhere, and then, yeah, it's uh, just looking at the washing machine go round and round and round. <laughs> And then another one, this is a classic. Uh, when the wind blows in my hair, expectation versus reality, that's right. And so we have these kind of things in life, and, and in Genesis 37, as we now get somewhat a little more serious, uh, we, see, we pick up the story of Joseph, and it's an amazing story, this teenager who has already lived so much, through so much in the first 17 years of his life. Just read the previous chapters, and you're going to see this guy has lived a lot has experienced a lot in 17 years. And now, no doubt, he has some dreams for the future as a young boy, as, as any young boy, any teenager would have. And, and perhaps his dreams included marrying a nice Jewish girl, being able to settle down and, and, uh, and, and live you know, perhaps close to dad, seeing he was a bit of a daddy's boy, and, and perhaps buy some land from his dad and, and build a house and raise a family and go into the family farming business. He probably had some ideas similar to this. But God had other plans for Joseph. And things that, that came his way that he never dreamed of, that he never saw coming, until now, until we get to Genesis 37. And the next 22 years of his life would be a roller coaster of events, of ups and downs, pain and sorrow, excitement and thrills, rejection and frustration. Being misunderstood, he would be mistreated, falsely accused, yet, be, yet he would be so blessed beyond his wildest dreams how God would fulfill his purposes for, his, for God's glory in his life. There would be many 
Countless millions of people saved from a severe famine because of him, including in the saving and, and preserving his family lineage that would go on and one day would produce from his family the Savior of the world. This adventure into the life of Joseph that we are starting today is so much more than a boy, a coat, some dreams, a messed up family, and overcoming obstacles. This is not a story, and so don't be thinking along these lines. This isn't about a story about how you can fulfill your own personal dreams and your own personal ideas, how you can reach your goals. So this is not what it's for. This is not what biblically this is about. It's more than good prevailing against evil. It's the story of a loving, sovereign God working through precise, amazing, sometimes shocking, providential events and actions that he orchestrates in the lives of people in order about to bring God's purposes and ultimately God's glory to see those prevailing. This resulting in much praise, glory, and worship of God, and just wondering, God, you are amazing. But I wonder for us today, from the events of the last two years, I got a little emotional this past week, and even yesterday and early this morning, thinking it was two years ago this Sunday we had our last service at the theater. And, it was the, and, and, and everything was shutting down all around us. And, and we were told two weeks. Little did we realize it would be more like two years and, and, and things would continue on and, and everything was shutting around and shutting down and I remember thinking, do we go on? Do we have that service? And we're like, yes, we have to have that service and we continued and I think that was our very first service that we streamed online and just various ways that, that God has been faithful. And you think of all that has happened in the last two years. But even before that in our lives, three years ago, five years ago, 10, 15, 40, 50, depending how old you are, 50 or 60 years ago, can you trace the hand of God and what he is willing and purposing for your life? Or do you just kind of see the events that have happened recently, the events going on in your life, whether it was from birth until now, or do you just see them as a bunch of random events Minor to major joys and sorrows that you just kind of have to go with the flow and just kind of adjust to. Do we look at all that is going on in our lives personally, from our own personal background and upbringing, or, and, or, or in our family, or all that is going on locally here in the Okanagan, or, or, or nationally in our country, or globally in our world, and can we rest our heads on the soft pillow of God's providence, believing and knowing that He is in control and He is moving everything towards their appointed end. Can we rest there? Oftentimes we don't, do we? It's hard to get to that place. We get worried, we get anxious. What Joseph would see and what we can learn from his life is that our past, our present, and even an uncertain future that God is in complete control. We see this in Joseph's life, and what is true for Joseph can be true for us. Now, are we willing participants, believing, resting, trusting, learning from God, or are we kicking? Are we screaming? Are we angry? Are we bitter? Or just kind of just, just, just holding on, just holding on to the handlebars, just hoping to survive? Well, Joseph is going to have to learn 
is we are going to see how to weep, how to deal with pain, how to deal with rejection, having basically the insides of his emotions ripped out of him. And yet God was forming and framing his young life, his character in preparation for what he had in store for him. This is a wonderful story, an amazing story, and I'm glad that we get to get into this. And I believe, again, it is so timely for our church. It's so timely for where we are at and how we need to see God's hand of sovereignty providentially moving through the steps of our life. And so we're going to see this from Genesis 37. God is always working. I encourage you to write this down. We have, have three truths we're going to see here. God is always working, giving us dreams and desires. We're going to pick this story up in verse 2, and you can follow along in the Word of God that you have there before you. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock from his brothers. He was, or with his brothers, he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha, great names, his mother's wives, or his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. My brothers, his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is it? What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the same in mind. Have you ever been rattled by dreams that you've had? Have you ever been rattled or saddened or scared or hopeful or confused by the dreams? I, I'm, I, I'm a person who it seems I, I don't remember a lot of my dreams that I have. Mind you, I did have one this past week, and, um, and, and it was about a certain government leader that resigned, and I was so overjoyed, and even in my sleep, I knew that I was dreaming, and yet I was able to, in my sleep, check my phone and even see it as a legit thing that this government leader had, had resigned. I woke up that morning rejoicing. And just thinking, this is so good. And then, then when I got up and got moving, I looked and like, I'm making my own fake news. I'm a fake news out, you know. And, and so I'm glad I didn't start, you know, texting people and all excited that, that this had happened. And, and, and so I was just like, oh, man. And I remember just being rather kind of put out, rather bummed that, like, this didn't happen. I thought it was real. I mean, sometimes you can have such real dreams, right? And, and well, God gave Joseph two dreams that excited him. And, and, and he was like, 
oh, this is amazing. How, how awesome is this? And, 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 and it seemed, seemed that this was God speaking to him. You see, in the Old Testament, this is one of the way, ways that God spoke to his servants. It was through dreams. Now, they didn't have the written word. They didn't have God's word written down yet. They didn't have it before, before them. And so this is one of the ways that God would communicate with his, with his servants. And, and then in Genesis 41, verse 32, it says that with the doubling of a dream, it means that the dream is then fixed by God. So when there's two of them, it gives that confirmation. What did Joseph have? He had two dreams. This meant it was fixed by God. And so that first dream blew him away. The second one gave that confirmation. For us today, God speaks to us primarily through his word and through prayer. We take our plans, our dreams, our hopes, we take the events, we, we take what has happened, the opportunities that come before us, and we measure them based on God's word, based on prayer. We don't make our decisions just solely based on a feeling or an intuition or even, even cautiously about dreams because they can deceive. But we measure and surrender everything to God. We seek wise counsel. We pray. And God will confirm and he will direct our plans, oftentimes requiring us to take huge steps of faith. So young Joseph has these dreams that his, his family, his older brothers, his parents would all bow down to him. Now, perhaps this is what Joseph was thinking. And, and, and especially when it came to a God-given dream, this is going to be easy. This is going to be awesome. As, as we see this picture on the screen, just, just nice and smooth and just God has a plan. God has a, 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 a dreams for, for me and, and, and that. But then all of a sudden, and, and our dreams are always pretty and nice, aren't they? Our dreams are successful and, and painless and, and, and you go, boy. Like everything is just, you know, it's all good. But in reality, God's plan and agenda often go more like this, doesn't it? The ups and downs, the toils, the snares, the stuff that happens. Joseph's dreams did, did, did not inform or warn him of the rejection, of the abuse that he would face, that being, about being tossed into a pit and then later on into a prison didn't involve God didn't tell him anything. His, his, his plans for him would include being sold into slavery and going to Egypt. He didn't see any of that coming. And just as our dreams and our plans don't include the frustrations, do they? They don't include the hurts, the setbacks, the disappointments. Our plans, our dreams don't include CAT scans or MRIs or biopsies or various illnesses. They don't include pain or bankruptcy the ongoing effects of an accident or a breakup or a divorce or abuse or an addiction or the loss of a friendship or the loss or death of a loved one. None of our dreams include things like this, but it's a reality that we face. None of our thoughts and plans even two years ago could foresee the destruction and the division and the fallout from a virus that could spread around this world and even more dangerously and sadly from the effects of the virus, what it has done to society and has done to families and churches and to people and nations. We didn't see any of that coming. How we must take our plans and our agendas and our dreams and we lay them down, we must lay them down and surrender them and give them all to Jesus. 
not just once, but continually. God, my life is yours, as we were singing a while ago. Take my life and let it be. We can sing it, but do we do it? How we must take all of this and surrender it to him. We must come to rest in the truths of God's word. We're going to see this in the life of Joseph. Truths from God's word like Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And your thoughts than your, my thoughts than your thoughts. God's plans are higher. His ways are higher than ours. Or Romans 8, 28. These are going to be some key verses for us to consider as we work through this series. In Romans 8, 28, you probably know it, you've heard it so full well, but we need to come to not just know it, but to believe it. That, and then it goes, and then we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God is at work giving us dreams and desires but also something else, God is always at work. God is always working in the midst of dysfunction and devastation. Let's read and continue reading in, in verse 12. Now his brothers went to, to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here, am I, here I am. So he said to him, go now, if it is well, with your brothers and, and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. This was about a 60-mile journey for him. And a man found him wandering in the fields. I, I could just imagine how this would look. Just this, you know, Joseph is just, you know, in his coat of many colors, just kind of wandering around like, I don't see my brothers. I don't know where they're at. And a man, found, a man found him wandering in the fields and the man asked him, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan, which is about another 10 to 15 miles away. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Verse 18, they saw him from afar. And before they came near to him, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and, and, we, will, and, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Now, these events are simply the sad exclamation mark that we have on some pretty dark, pretty deep-seated, some pretty bad levels of dysfunction for this family. Now, just a little context to kind of understand Joseph's life and what he has faced. It wasn't just the angry brothers here in this situation and being thrown into an old cistern. We can see the reality of what he faced in the previous chapters. And to summarize this is one messed up family. Joseph 
17 years old, has been exposed to so much. Joseph's father, Jacob, had a history. In fact, his, his, the name Jacob means cheater. And he was, had a history of cheating, conniving, doing whatever it took to get an advantage to get his way. Then later, the cheater got cheated by his now father-in-law, Laban. Joseph's dad, also another thing that, that Jacob did is he played favorites when it came to his wives and children. And yes, I said wives. And that's a whole nother level of dysfunction. In Joseph's life and family and generations prior to this, there was just tons of, dis of dysfunction that went, went on. J just take a look at the circle, the circle of dysfunction on the screen there. Those, these are some of the things represented in Joseph's history. Things like adultery and rape and incest and murder and abuse and cover-ups and a passive father, generational sin, evil schemes, bitterness, slavery, rivalry, sexual sin, even polygamy. Yes, polygamy was, was a common practice in the day. This was something that God did not intend for marriage. In Genesis, even God laid it out that, that, that God's design then and still is today. One man, one woman for life. That was established in Genesis and that was God's plan. And even and, and, and polygamy became a common practice among those who didn't honor God, who didn't walk with God. And even some of the patriarchs of old embraced the culture of the day and took multiple wives, concubines, and mistresses. But you know what? When they went and they strayed away from God's ideal, from God's standard, it never went well for them. It never went well. It just caused more headaches. And, and, and troubles and trials that they endured. That being said, Joseph's dad had 13, fathered 13 children, 12 sons, one daughter, from four different women. Two of them were his wives, Rachel and Leah, who were, were sisters, which even makes it more bizarre. But again, you can read this. And, and, and then Rachel and Leah both had maidservants, and again, and, and that's where Bilhah and Zilpha, um, don't see those getting uh, being used uh, these days for little girls' names, at least not here in North America. Uh, and, 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 and see, they belonged, they were the uh, maidservants of Rachel and Leah, and so those automatically also became, if he wanted, and it did, the property of Jacob, and so they were considered his wives as well through these ladies. I mean, it's just sick. Now, now, Jacob, another thing about him, he played favorites between his wives, loving Rachel more than Leah. Apparently, as, as we read earlier, that Rachel uh, probably wasn't much to look at, it would seem, and, and he loved Rachel more, but his dad cheated, or her father-in-law cheated him, and he had to work 14 years in order to finally get her to get Rachel, the one that he really loved. So he played favorites with his wives, but he also played favorites with his children, causing turmoil and stress and jealousy and hatred to brew within the family. And Jacob fueled all of this mess within the family by giving Joseph, the son that he had with Rachel, the one that he loved, the special coat, the coat of many colors. And not only was it a colorful coat, what it signified was heirship, that, that this was always traditionally given to the firstborn who would carry on the family name. And Joseph, he was the second youngest. And so this didn't make a lot of sense. 
Another aspect that I read this past week about the coat is that it was, would have been a long-sleeve coat. And a coat like this, colorful, with long sleeves in those culture, meant that you were not dressed for work. You were dressed to lord and to supervise and to not get your hands dirty, but to watch others who would. And so there was a ton of sibling rivalry here. I mean, there was six kids in our family, and, and my parents, I know, they believed as much as they could, and, and, and I believe it now, that they didn't play favorites. But as kids, what did we often think? Dad loves you more than he loves me. Or else you'd fuel it up and let them, you know, and, and not that I would do, well, okay, maybe I did, is I let some of my siblings know that, you know, I was the chosen one. Even, even to this day, I think it still kind of continues. I have an older sister. And so people would often say, so, you know, we're um, 11 months apart. And, uh, and so people would say, like, who's oldest? And she would be so quick to jump in. I am. And I would just be so quick to just remind everyone, but biblically, I'm the firstborn. And oh, she did. I mean, even still to this day, um, I phoned my parents this past week, and my dad says, uh, says to my mom, um, hey, Charlene, say hello to your biblically firstborn son. You know, I'm like, yes, I still have it, you know. Uh, I mean, still this sibling rivalry can continue. And so anyways, um, so, so we see just this messed up, family that, that, that they're, they're experiencing. And, and so it says that they hated him three times in this passage. It says they hated Joseph in verse 4. It said they could not even speak peaceably to him. Every word to him was sharp. It was cruel. It was mean. Now, Joseph can at times be viewed by some as pretty much an innocent victim, almost near perfect, that he really did nothing wrong. But Joseph was quite normal. He was born with a sinful nature. He wasn't perfect. He lived a good life, as, as we see. He, he lived an exceptional life, a man of integrity and a godly perspective. We see he has a forgiving spirit. He, he has an unwavering trust in God. That's all so good. But at age 17, some of his actions probably weren't the wisest. He helped to fuel some of that sibling rivalry and the hate. I mean, he did come across a little spoiled and like a pompous little brat and a, and a braggart by first of all sharing that first dream that he had and seeing the reaction, he should have known better not to tell them about the second dream. That just was not smart at all. And, but, but here's something else about him. In verse 2, it says, Joseph brought a bad report of them to their fathers. He tattled on them. You say, yeah, but maybe he was just reporting the facts. No. The bad report, that word report, used in the Old Testament, used in Scripture that we see in verse 2, is used as a negative report, an untrue report. So he went back and tattled on his brothers and exaggerated and didn't necessarily tell the truth on how the brothers were caring for the flocks. And so Joseph wasn't quite so squeaky clean in all of this. Now, if this wasn't bad enough, there, there was more to this family. Even more of an ugly dark side. Very ugly. Polygamy, favoritism, passive father in different things, but, but it gets worse. Diana, or Dinah, their only sister, was raped. And her dad, Jacob, did nothing about it. He didn't want to ruffle the feathers of those in the community. Then when some of 
her brothers decided to take matters into their own hands and trick and deceive, and then they ended up killing the rapist and his father and all the other males in that community. Jacob was upset. He was concerned about, again, what will the neighbors think? Then later, his oldest son, Reuben, takes and commits sexual sin with one of Jacob's wives. And all it says is that Jacob heard of it. He did nothing. He did nothing when his son took one of his wives Passive father. Dysfunction through and through for this family. So now here in verse 37, Joseph, or in chapter 37, Joseph is sitting in a deep pit knowing his brothers are plotting to, to possibly even kill him. How broken, how messed up this is that blood brothers would do something like this. But you know, in this room today, I'm sure that many of the items listed here Again, on the screen, this circle of dysfunction, this, these, and more could easily be represented here in this room, in our families, in our lives, in our past. You see, we've all experienced and live and battle with various levels of dysfunction from our family, from our own willful and sinful choices, from those around us, the influences that we've had, and so oftentimes we're so quick to blame our families, our friends. Oftentimes when a teenager goes off, it, 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 it goes off the rails, it's the bad crowd, the bad influence around them. No, you know what? In, in any of these situations, sin makes us all bad and makes us all dysfunctional. I don't need anyone else in this room in order for me, Melden Lutzer, to be dysfunctional. And then when you take my sin and my dysfunction and your sin and a few other people's sin, you've got a real mess. Now, add that to the 7.9 billion people in this world. That's a lot of dysfunction being lived out and played out in our world, isn't it? And you might ask, you might wonder, is there anything good that can come from the dysfunction? Is there anything good that can come from this painful past or even this just just? terrible present that you're living in and or this uncertain future is there anything good that can come from my family from the mess up from the dysfunction can god even redeem in these situations can god heal the wounds the odds seem to be so stacked against me they seem so stacked against you your family your friends but joseph reminds us that God is always working, giving us dreams, giving us certain desires. But he's also working in the dysfunction and in the broken dreams. My uncle Irwin, who has written a few books and pastored for many years, gave this quote that I heard years ago. And if you're anywhere around me for very long, you will probably end up hearing me say this. That water does not rise above its source. Children sometimes do. We see that in the life of Joseph. By the grace of God, we can rise above the source of the dysfunction that perhaps we have lived in or even the dysfunction that we have helped to bring into, the, into our lives, into the lives of others. God is greater than our past. He is greater than our sin. He is greater than any dysfunction that we have ever experienced or will ever face. And thirdly, God is always working. 
even when the dreams are derailed. So here's jo Joseph sitting in this pit. They're thinking about killing him, and look at verse 25, and it says, they sat down to eat. Talk about cold and callous when you think about this. Here they, they've just roughed him up. They've just been considering killing him. They want to do away with him, just filled with hatred. And then they're able to eat lunch. Like, how, how bad, how messed up, how hardened these guys must be. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what, is it if, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Judah figures, hey, let's make some money on this. We're not going to have any blood on our hands this way, and we'll have a few extra coins in our pocket. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Now, according to Genesis 42, Joseph at this point, he was begging. He was pleading. He was crying don't do this, don't do this. He just didn't like, oh, okay, this is what I'm going to do next. No, we get the insight. There's emotion. There's, there, there, there's the crying out, do not do this. And this is forever etched in Joseph's memory, but it's also etched in the memory of his brothers. And so they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Now, was this remorse, or was this just a way for maybe him to kind of get back in his father's good books after sleeping with one of his wives? We don't know. But we see the heart of Reuben affected here. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it's my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son, mourning. This, thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. And I'm sure Joseph's head is just spinning with all of these events. He's coming out to check out on his brothers. Next thing he's in a pit. Now he's walking to Egypt, maybe on a camel or beside a camel, headed there as a slave. Headed to Egypt. I mean, this could very well possibly be considered worse than death. It would have been better, perhaps, he's thinking, for them to have killed me. Joseph has a massive, massive case here for victimhood that could, could cause him to rot and embitter him for the rest of his life with the scars and with the wounds. How could they do this to me? How could they, they say such awful things? How could they throw me in the pit? How could they sell me? God, where are you? What about the dreams? What about these dreams I had? The dreams are seemingly completely dead at this point. Yet as we continue in this story, Scripture 
doesn't point that there is bitterness. And he doesn't allow victimhood to take hold of his life. I'm sure he had his bad days. We all do. But he did not allow self-pity to reign in his life. Later on, we see that there's forgiveness and, and, and there's a trust in God through this. Joseph came to believe and trust in the words and the ways, the promises and the provisions of God that were no doubt handed down to him from his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather. Perhaps he remembered the stories from when he was just a young child that his dad Jacob told him, or maybe it was even from his grandfather Isaac. And he jumped up on his lap and he tells the story about his father Abraham. How one day, at just the right time, God provided a ram that was caught in the thicket to provide a sacrifice for Abraham at a very trying time. And he told him the whole story about how he was to be a sacrifice and, and, and how God saved his life by providing this ram for him. Joseph was perhaps told, now Joseph, if you trust God 100%, no matter how difficult, no matter what happens, you trust God and believe God will provide, God will make a way, He will see you through anything. Joseph, my dear grandson, my dear son, hold on to God. Perhaps this formed his early understanding and gave him the truths that he needed to be reminded of. Loved ones, in the same way we must understand when our lives don't go according to plan and whose lives really do, right? When they don't go according to plan, that nothing can or will stand in the way of God's plans for your life if you are in Him, if you are in God, if you are in Christ. Even hate-filled people, even family can't stand in the way of God's plans for your life, even your messed up life, even your broken dreams, even your messed up family, even in this messed up world. None of this means that God has forsaken you. He hasn't forsaken his church. God is providentially working step by step by step towards his accomplished plan in our lives and in this world. And just as God provided for Abraham... God provided for Joseph. He will provide for us if we will only allow him to. If we will get to that place that we will see through this series of that surrender to God's ultimate plans and purposes for our lives. You see, God's hands aren't tied. Yes, we see and experience the ugly results of sin all around us, but God is still working even when there's dysfunction when dreams are derailed and may even seem to be dead. As we close here today, as we come to the let's get to it part of our message, how do we apply the word of God to our lives as we begin this series? Loved ones here today, would we see that God's plans are bigger than our dreams? God's plans for your life, for your family, are bigger than the dreams that we would have. But what do we need to do? We need to trust Him. We need to trust Him. The last two years has taught all of us, hold our plans loosely and grip the Lord tightly. I honestly don't think this world, and I think I'm in good company with that, I don't think this world is going to get any easier. Life 
our world, society, it's going to get more complicated. It's not just a gut feeling that, that we have, is it? It's, it's from the Word of God. God's Word tells us it's going to get worse before it gets better. And it will get better. It will get amazing. But until then, we've got to endure. We've got to stand strong in the truths of God's Word. And knowing that the harder that you determine to follow the Lord, the more complicated and difficult life will get. Live in the world. Go and pursue sin. Things will go a lot smoother, but man, you're going to crash one day and it's going to be ugly. Trust God. Your dreams will get tested. Your faith will get tested. Joseph never would have thought that Egypt would have been part of God's plans for him, and yet Joseph would see that The incredible would end up happening. Things he never saw coming. He would see those God-given dreams fulfilled. You see, we all like the story. We like the idea of of God working in our lives, burning off the the stuff. And I think in our heart of hearts, we all have have had and maybe still have certain dreams and goals and and, and plans for God to work in us and and, and for God to work through us and and God to work in our families and and, and, and to work in those around us and we have these plans and, and God burning off the stuff that doesn't need to be there and changing us and growing us, strengthening us, sanctifying us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. We all have these I dream have these dreams and ideas in our heart and, and it's from the Lord. It's from the Holy Spirit that is within us. We like that kind of story. We want that sort of thing. But here's the thing. We don't pick the script. We don't pick the script of how it's all going to happen. But we trust and we run to the one who is writing that script. Who's already written it. God's plans are bigger than our dreams. We ought to trust him. And second of all, God's plans are bigger than our dreams. We need to worship him. The story of Joseph is a, actually a greater story of someone even greater than Joseph, but it gives us a picture of Joseph. Of Joseph gives us a picture of someone greater, a foreshadowing of a greater deliverer, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you study the life of Joseph and you see what he went through, there's about 50 to 60 different comparisons that you see to him being a foreshadowing of Jesus and the life of Jesus and what Jesus suffered and went through. And Joseph is giving us a picture of this. The Savior, Jesus Christ, who says, I'm with you. I will not leave you. A God who says, I'm sovereign. I'm in control over the dreams, over the detours, over the derailments, over the dysfunctions, over the deadness. I have not abandoned you. I see. I see you through it all. Trust me. Worship me, our God says. God is painting on the canvas a beautiful masterpiece of redemptive history here in this world. And we get to be part of that masterpiece, of that canvas, that plan. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. The band is going to come. We're going to worship in a moment. But as heads are bowed and Lord willing, we'll see next week in Genesis 39 that four times it says the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph when he was promoted. The Lord was with Joseph when he was demoted. When he was thrown into the pit, thrown into the prison, falsely accused, forgotten, 
The Lord was with him. So with heads bowed, the question you need to be asking yourself right now, is the Lord with you? Is the Lord with you? Have you surrendered your life? Have you made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior, the Master, the forgiver of your sins? If he is, then he is with you. But it still means we daily need to continue to trust him, even in the dark. If he isn't with you, if you do not know him personally as your Lord and Savior, I implore you, do not leave here today without surrendering your life to him. I'll be available right at the end of the service. There'll be others available here. We'd love to talk to you further and give you some material you can look at, but just, just let you know how you can have the Lord with you as your Lord and Savior. Others of you have been walking with the Lord for years, and yet right now, if you were to be honest, your walk would be one away from the Lord. You're living on your own. You're living, living in areas of, of, of sinfulness, deceit, deceiving yourself even. I encourage you to get back with him. Trust him. Repent. Walk with him once again. And it's understanding we all carry wounds from our childhood or even from last week. Whether it's physical happenings that have happened to us or words that have been spoken. And some of them can leave gaping wounds in our life, whether it's abuse or rejection or ostracism, rape, betrayal. The list goes on. Whether it's your messed up own personal life, your family, your past. Folks, remember God has not forsaken you. Jesus, he came from a very difficult family environment as well. Think about it. His, his mom was pregnant before the actual wedding. Something that was punishable by divorce or even death. Joseph and Mary had to escape with young Jesus from Bethlehem to Egypt. They had to go there as refugees. He's then later raised in Nazareth, a town that was um, despised. <laughs> Nothing good can come from Nazareth. Jesus' own brothers thought he was crazy. At the cross, Jesus put his own mother in the care of his disciples. Where, were her, where was the family? Where were the brothers? Jesus came from a difficult and complicated family. Hey, folks, we have a sympathetic high priest, a savior in heaven who says, trust me, worship me. My hands aren't tied. What needs to be released today to the ancient of days to God who was with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph? What areas do you need to say, God, I give it to you. I give you this situation. I give you this hurt. I give you this injustice. I give you this regret. I give you the, the, the broken dreams. So God, I pray that even now, whatever it is, whatever things are getting opened up in the hearts of people here today, would we run to you? In the areas where we don't see you working and we wonder what is going on, would we have faith to believe you are working? Would we surrender our plans and surrender everything to you anew and afresh in our lives? May we not shun or ignore or suppress the trials or the past, but may we lean into it and learn from you, God, and, bring, and, and find healing. All of our dreams and our hopes, our doubts, our fears, our failures, our fractures, 
brokenness. It's all happened under your watchful eye and you come to us and say, trust me. Let me heal you. Let me strengthen you. Let me uphold you. Oh God, would you do this in our lives? Would you raise up beauty from the ashes to display your glory in people here today? We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.